You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Welcome to TFM's local watering hole for all things geeky. I am just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and with me as she is almost every single week. We're glad to have her back. She was off to celebrate her birthday, but Christy, how is it going? Hey, I'm back and I've got, you know, all my birthday presents on my person at the moment. No, I'm just kidding. Oh, okay. (laughs) I'm like, I don't know if I should ask what they were then. Oh, no, no, no. I got like (laughs) leggings and a t-shirt. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, what's the t-shirt? Uh, from Good Mythical Morning. Oh, The okay. YouTube show. Nice. It's a Rhett and Link mm-hmm. t-shirt of their strange hairstyles of the past. Fantastic. Fantastic. Because that was one of your recommendations not too long ago, if I remember correctly. So. Yes. I always recommend them. Yeah. Well... Uh, excited this week, we're going to be diving into something new that had dropped on Netflix about a month back, I think, um, mm-hmm. is is when it had come out. And so we're going to be talking about The Old Guard. But before uh, we do that, just a quick reminder, of course, you know, you can find us on social media now at The 602 Club and on Instagram at The 602 Club TFM. Follow us in both places because we would love for you to be able to win $25 to Amazon. We're giving away 25 bucks just for following us. So, I mean, it's legitimately probably the easiest contest you could win. You just have to hit follow on both of those places. So, super exciting. And honestly, look, I just want to say like if everybody who listens to this show followed us, that'd be great. That'd be great. We're, we're trying to make sure that we grow this side of the network and we're really excited to, to be there to be able to talk with you guys now. So, uh, of course, you can find the entire network over at Trek FM online, um, trekfm.com, trek.fm online. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trekfm. We're on Twitter at trekfm. We're on Instagram there at trekfm. And then, of course, uh, if you want to talk to listeners from all over the world about what we've got going on here at TFM, we have so many different shows happening, of course, what the 602 Club's doing and uh, everything else. So, you can go to the Babel Conference, which is on Facebook. Just type Babel into the search field, and you can be let in and talk to fans about whatever it is you want to talk about that we're doing here on the network. So want to say a huge thank you, too, to our associate producers, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, Daniel Noah. Thank you so much, guys, for supporting the show. We really appreciate it. It means a lot to us. And, of course, uh, they do this through Patreon to make sure that all of the shows that we do here on the network, not just the 602 Club, but everything, keep coming to you each and every week. It is pretty expensive to do this, honestly. We have so much that we're doing, and we're reorganizing the network to make it even better for you guys. So every little bit helps. We've got some great contribution levels, and so you can go over to patreon.com slash trekfm and support the network. Um, and so, but, uh, Chrissy, um, we mentioned, we're going to talk about the old guard. Um, and a couple things. One, I just want to know, had you heard of this movie before I put it on the schedule? (laughs) (laughs) 
I had seen it pop up in my queue of, you know, things you might like to watch that whole algorithm. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I know Netflix knew that I love Charlize Theron content. So it was probably that algorithm. <laughs> but other yeah. than that, I, you know, I did not know about the source material or what it was really about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I mean, I'm the same way. I, I just, you know, I saw that this was coming out on Netflix. I think I saw the trailer for it, you know, and I'd seen some people that I follow just kind of talk about it on um, like social media and mm-hmm. they had apparently liked it. So I was like, okay, well, I mean, we we're looking for things to cover and it's kind of nice to have something new content wise to be able to talk about. And so, um, but I didn't know that this was a comic that, so, you know, from comic to screen for me was really interesting seeing is that, you know, this was a comic that was originally published in uh, 2017, and the comic was written by Greg Rucka, who had quite a few runs on Wonder Woman. Um, I don't know if you oh. ever wrote, read in his Wonder Woman run. I don't think I did. Uh, I think maybe I caught an issue here and there when Adam Hughes was doing the cover art, because I love his mm-hmm. work, but otherwise, no. This is, you know, kind of more independent style comic. And um, it's uh, I was really interested that, you know, this is something that uh, they um, had Sundance Media uh, pick up and decide they wanted, you know, to make this as a comic. Um, They were it was going to be written by Greg Rucka uh, and turned into the film. Uh, And so he he did the screenplay. And. Um, really interesting too, you know, it's something that as they're moving forward to continue making the film, Netflix picks up the worldwide rights to the movie and they agree to finance it so that, you know, everything can get finished. And so, um, and then of course, you know, it shows up on, on Netflix for everyone to be able to, to, to watch. And so, um, but yeah, this is, I mean, had, had you seen the comic at all? Have you, have you, um, read any of the comic at all? No, but now it makes me interested in actually going and finding it. Mm-hmm. Did it for you? Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. Yeah, it, I think that it just in general really sets up the possibility for an ongoing series. Mm-hmm. And that I that definitely then intrigued me to go and find more. Yeah, absolutely. I And, and it's always interesting to me. You know, when you come into something like this where, uh, you know, I'm quite sure that there are probably big fans of this comic who are really interested in then seeing the movie but it's always mm-hmm. interesting to come in on the other side where you're kind of completely blind to knowing anything about the comic and so your introduction is to whatever they're going to do on screen you know um, without mm-hmm. any of the, the prior knowledge sometimes that helps and, and sometimes it doesn't so um, for you with with the story here um you know, it's always interesting when you're trying to introduce like a kind of a new world and, and the thought process yeah. behind it. How did you feel? Did it work for you? Do you feel like you got enough from the movie to, to truly understand? Or do you feel like you wish that you had read, you know, some of the comic? I kind of wished that I had read some of the comic because I think that something the movie does very well is, as you and I've said before, we like the character studies. And that this really follows those five main characters that are immortal. But I think that as far as the background storytelling, 
Sometimes it can be a good thing to leave a lot of things open-ended because you're following other things that are more important. But in this case, I kind of felt like I needed more of a backstory as to why things were happening. For example, specifically when um, Andy tells them at the beginning, we don't do repeats. They never really explain in the movie what the repeat was. Like, oh, have they have they worked for the CIA before? Or they did a job like this before? Or they did a job like this in Sudan before? What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's an excellent point. Because there kind of are, uh, there's there's so much that they're they're showing you, uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, and they're trying to tell a lot of this backstory to kind of fill in you know uh the world not really and the how but just the the fact that they are in, in these kind of quote unquote immortals and mm-hmm. you know that they um you know it's very difficult for them to die and and, and they do die but it usually takes thousands of years for this power to kind of wear off and then they finally just at you know, one point they don't come back and so um I just that that all was really interesting. I think they do a good job of explaining that stuff. But yeah, there were some throwaway lines here and there where they 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 talk about some things and you can realize that they are probably referencing something that is a is a, is a rule that you would have gotten of their existence in the comic books, mm-hmm. you know, but they never give you here. And in fact, I I would say I was quite interested because the movie throughout the storyline, never truly gives you, um, you know, in lots of comic book movies, you kind of have the one scene where somebody explains things. Yeah. You know, um, or they show it to you. Like, um, like I'm thinking about Iron Man, right? Mm-hmm. And how they show you he's in the cave and how he builds, you know, his first arc reactor. Right. You know, and they go into a lot of detail, you know, kind of showing you that whole process. And so it's really interesting that here we only have, I would say minor flashbacks of their previous existences in the sense of where they've been in the thousands of years that they've lived. And we get some sense of that, but I feel like maybe I don't, did you get, maybe you got this feeling too. I felt like part of that is because they didn't really have the budget to go back to too many time periods mm-hmm. and really make them as spectacular as you'd want. I mean, you, you can you can only do so much. How many? I mean, how you'd have to have a lot of money to go back and like do medieval battles or you know right. uh, prehistoric battles or something. You know, like it yeah. would cost a lot of money to do that. And this film doesn't have that kind of money, so. They're having to make do, I feel like, with what they have. Oh, yeah. I, I definitely think that that's a big reason why they didn't do a lot of flashbacks. And then they kind of use pictures on Copley's board at the end to show you where they've been or particularly where Andy's been in history. But I think that um, it it would have been helpful at least to describe it more, you know, other than the scene where Andy just says, I'm really old. And Niall right. even asks her again, yeah. yeah, but how old? Really answer the question. And she still doesn't give her an answer. It just kind of feels like a, a cop out as a way to move on when you mm-hmm. do need that detail because you would understand Andy better instead of them having to use Copley to explain it to you later. Yeah, that's a really good point um, with 
the the storytelling that they do do and i think it's um it's frustrating that again they they don't dive into quite as much of the history and and i i agree with you completely you know that with the the picture board basically you know Mm -hmm. uh with of course all the running you know lines between things with the yarn the yarn does everybody anybody ever really do that i want to know i want (laughs) to talk to an actual like cia detective and or something you know and know if they actually do that because they you see that in every movie but um it reminded me a little bit of you know basically in wonder woman the 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 beginning of the movie is her looking at the picture that bruce gives her Mm -hmm. and then she goes back and relives that you know like and in some ways it it kind of gives you the, the the thought of how ancient you know um wonder woman is you know and so they're trying to do that same thing here but it it doesn't all it doesn't always work as well as they want it to and part of that again is i think the budget that limits them from really truly being able to visit the past in any substantial way Mm -hmm. just because it would cost a lot to do you're gonna either need a lot of cgi or you're going to need um you know extensive uh sets Mm-hmm. And, and costumes know, that's just not and people, they have. yeah, exactly. Because yeah. the times we see like are very easy to replicate. Like you can put anybody in a forest with some weird costumes that make it look like Paleolithic time period. You know, mm-hmm. like okay, so um, yeah. I but I will say I feel like it was really interesting. And how did you feel about this? So you know, the storyline is that you know there are people that are born and they cannot die. And they're almost immortal. Um, but, of course, we mentioned you know, they're not completely immortal. They can live for thousands upon thousands of years. But, it that you know, the immortality does wear off. Mm-hmm. And so um, did you feel like at any point you wanted more rules? To yes. Kind of how this works at all? And that's yeah. where the comic would have come in. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm sure you and I were the same on that because we probably would be. But I think that in one way, it's interesting leaving it open-ended because you can put your own meaning as to why they would be immortal for a while and then not be anymore. And maybe, you know, the whole message is about um, why immortality would be a bad thing. But you also, just as human beings, I think we have to understand a reason behind something. And so I think also in a way it would really help us as an audience to understand it better. If we had some kind of explanation as to what the immortality is for. That's a good point. That's a really good point because yeah, yeah, because I mean, what, what is this immortality for? Right. Like, like it feels like it's it, building to something like a big fight or mm-hmm. something, you know, an intergalactic right. superhero battle, but it doesn't. And I, yeah, I mean, I think, wow, that's, that's something that I hadn't thought of, but I think it plays into, and I, it's probably a good time to kind of dive into it now, but I think that's maybe one of the problems of immortality that they run to run into here in the movie is that we know that they, they try to do quote-unquote good mm-hmm. with their immortality and try to help people. Um, but I think one of the major problems that I kind of had with the whole setup is is that they don't believe in anything. Like, you know, we have Andy making fun of um, Niall 
for praying, mm-hmm. you know, and believing in, in, in a God, you know. Um, and, and so they even talk about, too, um, that they uh their only purpose is to to do good as they see it throughout the centuries and it's like okay well that's really interesting because the idea of what's good and right throughout the centuries has really changed like and we can look back at history right mm-hmm. how many civilizations have had slavery as a part of them and and nobody blinked an eye right we're not enough people anyway yeah and then now of course all of us you know for the most part are on the same page that that was horrible Exactly, exactly. So it seemed strange to me then too, like, so we have this, this immortality uh, or nigh immortality that's given to these characters. And yet we don't seem to like, if, if they don't believe in anything, they don't see really any higher purpose in their life other than trying to help people and do what is quote unquote good according to them. It seems really interesting to me because Good, if if it's only defined by you and you live for centuries, well, that is going to change if there's no, like, absolute standard you're trying to live up to. Like, right. So, yeah, I really ran – that, that – what you mentioned and what I'm talking about, I feel like, wow, they just go together, like, as a, as a kind of a major issue that I kind of have. And I wonder if the comic ever answers any of that. Yeah, because it's like you want them to have some kind of purpose. Otherwise – why would immortality serve any purpose for them? You know, I think that um, doing good, obviously, we all appreciate. But it, like you said, it would change the meaning of what means good and bad over history. And then, too, um, you also see in the movie at this point that they're weary and that Andy is saying things are actually just continually getting worse instead of better. And I feel like what we're doing is not making any kind of a difference anyway, and the world should just burn. And so it kind of adds to your like depressing feeling of, well, then what is the purpose of this movie? <laughs> well, and, and it, it, it creates the question of like, and, and possibly this is the, um, the thing that you didn't then run into, like how, how for them, they have to define meaning and purpose in their life outside of their actually, because they don't see there being any meaning or purpose in life, you know? Right. Um, and, and so if you're living forever and are, you know, quote unquote forever, thousands upon thousands of years, yeah, it just seems like that would that would have happened a long time ago. Like that the fact that they only are reaching that point now in their existence, it's like I feel like this would have happened thousands of years ago when they're living multiple millennia. Right. You know, that you would have run into this issue of like feeling useless and pointless um a long time ago. Yeah. When you don't have anything else other than yourself to believe in. And, and in many ways, like these characters kind of like are their own gods, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and that's that's something that's fine. I find really fascinating because they do live almost forever as, as we know it. Um, and yet they're they're no more. I mean, other than their immortality, there's nothing more godlike about them. And yet they kind of play god in some ways like that was interesting too because like i felt like andy and her character has 
kind of begun to see humans as like less than her group. Yeah. And she's like lost the ability to truly kind of like really live or enjoy life and, and only sees the misery and pain. And she doesn't really think twice about mowing down a bunch of people that get in her way because I don't think she sees them as being, I mean, other than the people she's trying to specifically help, anybody mm-hmm. who's getting in her way is irrelevant. And it's like, that's an interesting problem to have because then you're really not seeing people as being anything other than like they're either on your side or they're not on your side. And then that creates a dichotomy that I think creates a really big problem. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's something that Niall's character really points out to Andy in the movie saying, you know, did you see the amount of bodies that you just killed? And you know, that she, that Niall, by contrast, had just recently had to kill an enemy for the first time ever, even though she was a Marine. She was like, you know, they train you for all kinds of scenarios, but not how to deal with them after the fact. And she was like, you know, it's, it it means something. People are not expendable. And I'm glad that you mentioned that because that is definitely something that at this point in her immortal life that Andy felt was, you know, that there's no good left in the world and people are all expendable and have no value anymore. So I I do like that they actually brought that up in the movie in the dialogue. Yeah, and I I think they show it to you, too, because their lives are pretty miserable. Like, there's no joy in their lives anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, none of these characters. And the only characters that have joy are the ones that are together you know right the, the couple Nikki. that are together right um they they kind of show the problem of immortality for everybody else who doesn't have somebody that they love that's immortal because mm-hmm. you know humanity is really meant for community and it's meant to for love and to live without that it like eternally as these people are is kind of a living hell and you know we see through um booker's character that you can try and have that but the moment that they're they're get sick or they you know they're close to dying and you look the exact same like that creates a problem you know and so it's um i i think they do a great job of actually showing how you know, we always, people talk about, oh, I would love to live forever. You know, it's like, but the, the to actually do that would probably be one of the saddest things you could do um, unless you had somebody to live immortally with. Yeah. Oh, 100%. And I think that that's a good conversation that they have between Booker and Niall as well about that he couldn't save his family even if he wanted to. And that she should seriously consider that even though she can't help who she's become now, that maybe going back to her family is not a good idea because they would just be confused and she would go through the same pain he went through. And I like that, you know, they really have her struggle with that because she's like, yeah, but I didn't ask for this. I'm still young. And they already lost my dad. All of us did when I was a kid. He was also in the military. And, you know, mm-hmm. you you really feel for her because you don't want her mom and brother to then lose another family member in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's 
the movie really again the whole movie it just kind of seems to be about this conundrum of immortality and and the problem Mm -hmm. that it is and all the problems that it creates and i think in some ways some of them it does really well i think it shows the loneliness and despair that these characters kind of run into especially booker who you know the whole crux of the movie is him wanting to find a way to die you know Mm -hmm. because he doesn't see any hope left and you know what andy is able to do through having niall remind her is that life is meant to be lived life is meant there's meant to be joy in it life is is meant to be uh enjoyed you know and um and it's so it's beautiful reminder but then there are lots of other problems that come in with this that that don't get resolved and and a big part of that is that you know them just kind of arbitrarily deciding what they feel is good and what's not good and the people to help and not to help it's like okay well i get that they have a lot of experience but they're still human flawed people Mm -hmm. regardless of how long they've lived and it seems like, yeah, they're they're still missing something um, that um, you know they're they're not divine, and therefore their immortality right. still leads in in their own lives leads to lots of problems. So, um, yeah, that's it, it's really interesting, and I think the movie does a pretty decent job for the most part, kind of diving into some of those things. But I wonder if, and we talked about this with the story part, and but I do you. Do you think some of that stuff might have been ameliorated if you had just had like kind of some rules or a basis for the the why of the immortality? Yes, I do. I think that if they had had that piece to give some guidelines and frame it in a certain way that you would have felt that there was more of a point that it was all leading to, you know, there's that question that we both mentioned at the beginning of what is the mortality about the immortality about you know is it because they are meant for a specific purpose by either a god or you know uh, another superhero or immortal um, you know some kind of divine plan or is it just up to chance. This is the way things work in this world. And they serve their purpose for a while and then eventually die off. And it's the natural way of things. It it just it did need some more rules, something to frame the situation and not leave it so open ended. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that's a really good way to put it. And you know, I, part of me kind of felt like uh, that, that that was a, a thing that did end up taking away from the story a little bit is that as I'm watching it, that I'm having to kind of think these thoughts because there isn't really any explanation mm-hmm. um, pulls me out of the movie instead of just kind of continuing to go with the movie. And so obviously, you know, the cast, uh, some of these people I know and some of them I don't know at all, but I definitely know uh, Charlize Theron playing Andy. And I think for the most part that she did a pretty good job. Um, I would say, I did you ever see um, Lethally Blonde? No, I heard about it. Okay. So there she plays basically John Wick. Okay. Like the female version of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, 
which I think she pulled off pretty stinking well. Um, I I will say she's good, but she's not as good as I've seen her. I kind of felt like um, I I don't know. I just feel like she kind of undersold the role too much, or maybe she just didn't have the ability to to be able to go for too many different emotions. Like she was very flat in a lot of the movie to me, and I was mm-hmm. I was surprised to see that. So and well, and I will say she's kind of. I don't know if it's her picking the roles that she has or what, but she's kind of typecast herself lately in similar movies to this where she's playing the same kind of character. Like you said, like Lethally Blonde or I'm thinking of Eon Flux. It's always like even a similar haircut. Um, and, you know, I, I would like to see her get to branch out a little bit more, but maybe she really likes doing this kind of role. And so she's picked the same ones a couple of times. Uh, but yeah, I, I agree. I think that it didn't show as much of her range as some other things that we've seen her in. And I, I do wish that it had, even with the writing, had a little bit more depth to her character. Because it did just feel very shrouded in mystery, not necessarily in a good way. You're not getting enough information to really develop a, an emotional attachment to her. And so then... When she's dying, finally, you're going, oh, no, she's dying. You know, it, you're, you're just not really affected. I, you nailed it, I think. Okay. Honestly, I really no, I really do. I, that's the same reaction that I was having. It's like, I know I'm really supposed to care about her. Like, this is the point where she's not going to be able to come back. Like, she could die. Mm-hmm. But I I don't have enough of emotional connection with her to feel that way. And I felt like what was interesting is that they do that with Booker though. I felt like you had more of a connection with him and his struggle with life and the struggle of not being able to find anybody. The story that they tell about him having had a family Mm -hmm. and his family ended up hating him because, you know, his son is dying and he can't help him, you know? So I felt like that was much more effective and they gave him so much more to do um emotionally and i wish that they had transferred some of that to our quote-unquote main character with charlie's theron because i think he Mm -hmm. did a great job yeah with her i mean they really just kind of insinuate that she had possibly this relationship with uh i don't remember how you pronounce the girl's name maybe it was kun who was the um girl that got drowned in the iron maiden Mm -hmm. yes um so they that's really the only relationship they kind of show for her they never mention if she happened to have you know a long-term relationship with anyone or children or any family of any kind um and so that really leaves you feeling um unattached to andy as a character because you have nothing Mm -hmm. that makes her a warm right person well and i i think then it was interesting because a lot of the stories emotional beats are through Niall and her character, right? And like mm-hmm. and I thought she did a pretty decent job um as as playing that character. Uh and you know, I, I liked her for the most part. Again, she isn't somebody who like really blew me away in the role or anything. But I feel like she just there was more emotional resonance with her character just because they gave her more to play with. Mm-hmm. She actually did blow me away. I I thought that 
her performance, particularly when she's trying to decide um, whether or not to go back and see her mom and brother. And she, you know, gets in the car and starts driving and then eventually decides to go back and then notices that the magazine for the gun she has is empty and connects that Booker is going to betray Andy. I thought Kiki as Niall in those scenes, especially was amazing and that she really got across the weight of that moment. And, you know, especially too in the scene where you first meet Niall and she's, you know, taking care of this guy that they think is uh, a criminal in Afghanistan and he slits her throat. You know, I, she just absolutely yeah. blew me away in that scene too. So I, I was really intrigued to see more movies with her. Yeah, that's good. No, I'm glad you, you liked her. And, and again, I, I don't want to, uh, uh, make it seem like I, I didn't enjoy her at all. Yeah. It was just like, I think she was, she was good in the role. It, it just wasn't something that like, you know, blew my hair back or anything. Um, sure. And sorry, John Mills. Um, and so, um, <laughs> but yeah, I thought she was good and, and she, again, all of the emotional beats that you, especially by the end, the, the emotional moments that you want her to have as she's making these, you know, life altering decisions about, you know, the fact that her life is really changing and all. I thought she did a, a, a very good job with that. And so, mm-hmm. um, and I think, you know, the guys who play the couple with Joe and Nikki, I think they're good too. Honestly, we just don't really spend a lot of time with them. You know, right. they're just kind of there, I think, more as uh, a counterpart to the, uh, you know, especially the group where you've got, you know, Andy and Booker and they don't have anyone. And then, you, you know, you have them. It, they're They're basically just the foil in the sense of like the emotional foil that they don't have this type of relationship, you know? And so um, I think, honestly, it's probably a little bit of a disservice to them that they don't have more to do in the movie um, other than kind of be that emotional foil to the other two characters. Yeah, I wish we had gotten more of a backstory on them, although I thought that their scene describing the two of them fighting in the Crusades was funny and it was, you know, nice to get that piece at least. I do agree that they should have had more to do I like that they were able to include a gay couple in a movie like this without making that the focus, because it really showed that there's all kinds of different relationships and that, you know, they're talking about family relationships with Booker, they're talking about friend relationships, and then they're talking about romantic relationships. So, you know, yeah, it was a good way to incorporate something like that without, you know, calling people out specifically for that. Yeah, and it, it. I mean, I would say you know one of the things they do is it feels organic to the story, you know, mm-hmm. um, in 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 that way, and and so that was good, absolutely. Um, I, I, I'm not gonna say his first name because I'll just I would be bad, but Edge of Four playing James, the the CIA agent or the former yeah. CIA agent who is tracking down uh, these immortals. I really liked him, and honestly. You know, it's it's sad to me in some ways that he didn't even have more to do because he was the person that I, I think I enjoyed the most in this movie. Uh, I just really liked his character. I liked his motivation that he really is driven to bring these people in because of what has happened in his life. You know, his yeah. wife dying from ALS and, you know, wanting to he truly does want to help people. Um, he doesn't want these people hurt, but he does want to find a way to bring what he sees as the gift that they have 
to others, you know, and I think, you know, to me, I, I've seen him in, you know, other things and I always enjoy his performance. And I thought he was really good in this movie. Yeah, like uh, Love Actually, which is one of your and I's oh, favorite movies. <laughs> yes, Love, Love Actually. Uh, but yeah, he's really, he's also that character in general who you see in a lot of movies like this, dealing with either immortality or time travel or whatever, that wants to find a way for this to benefit the greater good. For, you know, either there to be an end to disease or to give others immortality or something like that. He has the best of intentions, but he doesn't realize the path that's leading him on. And so I think that it does give you a lot of interest in that character because he eventually comes to the realization of seeing what Merrick is doing to these people and realizes he doesn't want this. But now he's in too deep. So, yeah, I think he was really one of the stars of the movie and then just a great mm-hmm. actor anyway. Yeah. Well, and obviously great because, you know, the way that they leave the movie, that there's the possibility of there being a sequel and that he's mm-hmm. part of the team basically with that, I think is fantastic. And, and you know, uh, he kind of looks like he would be the guy behind the keyboard, you know, um, like yeah. in your superhero movies. So, you know, that that's that's cool. Um, and I think Harry Melling playing Stephen uh, Merrick is just fantastically delicious as just being this evil pharmaceutical CEO. Oh, um, what's f- hilarious is he was Dudley in Harry Potter. I know. So apparently I Dudley him. is still a jerk. <laughs> you know, some people are born to play villains. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I recognized his face. And, you know, of course, you're like, oh, he's older now and he's lost a little weight, but it's still the same person. Yeah, he was an excellent villain. I think he should continue doing this kind of role because he's really good at it. But especially getting across that he's got these creepy motives and that he will stop at nothing to get what he wants from them. Literally saying he will keep them in captivity, basically like animals forever. I mean, he just sees no end to it, you know. I have my goal and that's all that matters. And so you really feel for them what it might be like and why they fear being captured so much like Andy and Booker even mentioned in the movie, because if they do, there's a possibility they would never get out again and they would just do the same thing that, you know, Andy's girlfriend or friend or whoever she was to her went through drowning repeatedly forever. Yeah, absolutely. And I um, you know, I think the the thing that was really fascinating to me was, you know, he is a character who's legitimately just evil the whole time. You know, he his whole goal is to just make money, and at the same time he's he wants to live forever. You know, um mm-hmm. he wants to live forever and make money. Um, forever and so he wants to be the person that uh people have to come to for this resource you know and so um and he he really you know he only cares about himself and and there's that juxtaposition here with um him and the rest of with the with the actual mortals and and and, and what would you do with the time you're given and that's something that, you know, I just was thinking of as, as we were talking is like, 
the 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 real one of the big themes I think of the movie is 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 that whole idea of of what you know Gandalf says to Frodo in the in in Moria. It you know it's not for us to decide you know when we're born basically, but it's up to us to decide what we do with the time we're given, and what we see here is is Merrick being somebody who is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that he's the one that prospers and you know the immortals you know yes they they know that they could die at any moment that that it could give up but at the same time for most of them they live so long you know it they're not as worried about it really um Mm -hmm. and so but they continually keep trying to give for others you know, and that is the one thing I think that uh, you know their their goal is to try and and, and help uh, people. Now, the the biggest problem with that is that the the people they choose to help is based off of their own personal biases and and everything else that comes from that. It, it's not really based on um, a true altruism, I think, mm-hmm. uh, or any kind of like that all people deserve help or you know like and, right. anyway. That's where it runs into the issues we we're talking about earlier, but. Again, what do you do with the time you've been given? I think that's a great theme that we see throughout this movie. And, and it, you know, at least the immortals are trying to do something good for the world. Whereas, you know, Merrick, he, he may be helping people with his, his medicine, but that's, a, that, that's, that's not important at all. You know, right. Like, it's a byproduct. Exactly. <laughs> of, of him making money. Yeah, his goal is to have no competitors, to make the most money and to live forever. And you could tell he gets so creeped out even when I think it was Nikki that says your time is coming too. he just can't even process that he like looks down and then decides to leave the room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, I did want to add to I I'm glad that you brought that up that meaningful piece of the movie, though, about what it's about what you, you do with the time you're given. Because I definitely got that vibe as well. And I even thought about, you know, earlier when we were mentioning how Andy belittled Niall for her having faith in God and wearing the cross around her neck and everything. I think that they really bring it full circle then at the end, showing that Andy has changed because Booker says, well, I'll never see you again then because insinuating Andy will die in that time because she doesn't have her immortality anymore. And she says, have a little faith, Booker. And I was like, ah, maybe now she's changed her mind and does believe in some kind of higher power. Yeah, or or just believe in something again. Yeah. And, and so it would be interesting to kind of see, you know, how that plays out. Absolutely. So, um and so I, I, before we get to the last bit I want to talk about in the, the I mean the movie ends with the sequel of the fact that you know uh the iron maiden has come back mm-hmm. <laughs> and she's she's found a way out of of the iron lung and um been you know uh she's back so do you um do you want to see a sequel would you would you like to see a sequel to the old guard colon the iron maiden <laughs> the return of iron maiden <laughs> the return of iron maiden <laughs> they could get iron maiden to do the soundtrack hey uh okay anyway i would 
just out of sheer curiosity of seeing how they play out her possibly meeting back up with Andy uh, and seeing why in particular she appeared in Booker's apartment when they had just said six months prior that none of them wanted to see him for a hundred years, you know, how all of that is going to play out really interests me, but I would hope that there would be some further explanation, like we said about what the immortality is leading to. If there was any particular purpose or connection to other others like them in some way. Right. Yeah, no, I, I, I would love that too. Uh, and I think it would be interesting. Obviously too, they would need to do some sort of explaining how she was able to escape. Yeah, get out. Because what the last time we saw her, like her, you know, iron lung casket was sinking under the, the, you know, the dirt at the bottom of the ocean. So, um, yeah, that would be really interesting. And I think it could be good, you know? So, um, Mm -hmm. One of the things so it was really interesting. It's always fascinating to me to to see a movie like this and and the soundtrack choices that they make, especially if you're going to insert you know pop music uh, or some kind of like pop song into it. And I have to say, for me, one of the things that really just always pulled me out of the film is the choice they made with song. It just did not work in this movie, and I wish that they had not done that. I wish that they had just given it some sort of like score the whole time or just made better choices. But none of the songs worked for me whatsoever. It just song choices. If you're going to do that in a movie, it has to be absolutely just right. And none of these songs were just right. They were all wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. And I think too, if they had gone with a, a score that was more timeless, it would have even added more emotional weight to the movie and the characters than choosing the music that they went with. So yeah, it was not memorable. And what I do remember, it was very bleh. It just didn't go at all with the kind of story you're watching. Yeah. Yeah. No, it just, it didn't work. And I will say too, you know, one of the things that didn't really like, click at all uh i didn't really get anything from the score itself like i didn't i didn't mm-hmm. really hear anything in there which is kind of disappointing we kind of hope that there would be something kind of neat or cool or you know just something in the background here and it just really wasn't there so um yeah, yeah. like even going with something more like in a lot of ways it reminds me of like a jason Bourne movie let's do something like they did with music and score in those you know Yep, apps. I agree with you 100%. So, yep. uh, I'm really interested then, you know, as we've talked through this, um, where you land then with the ratings for the old guard. So, I am going to give it a 5 out of 10 um, eternal staffs. Like that, you know, one with the circle at the top that we never <laughs> explained. <laughs> um Because I think that there's a lot of good things about it, but that because of these pieces that were missing from the storytelling and um, the music as well, I think that it ends up just being kind of status quo. And like, I'm interested, but I'm not like excited about a sequel. So I need them to give us a little bit more and and maybe too, I'll go check out the comic now and see if that provides more background than mm-hmm. the movie did. Uh, and I'll report back, but 
so far I'm just kind of eh, it's okay. Yeah, I think I think I'm right there with you in in that sense. I think um you know, it it's uh if I'm giving it out of 10, I probably in the in the same place. Um about 4.5 to 5 out of 10. Mm-hmm. I just don't think um that it has the what it needs um to to really like make it beyond kind of average. Um, so, but I mean, if it, it, it's something that's a, you know, I would say it's not a bad watch and it'd be interested to see what other people, if they've watched it or, or have to say is we catch up on social media and stuff. So, um, mm-hmm. but, um, really interested, Christy, um, it's time for recommendations and I'm, I want to know what you've got to recommend this week. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about what I had to recommend this week because it was something that I had seen in previews back when we were able to go to theaters in February. Um, and my husband and I had thought about maybe watching it and then forgot about it. And uh, and then now it came out on HBO Max. And I said, oh, what's blinded by the light? We should check that out. So we decided the other night to watch it. And it's actually based on a true story about a Bruce Springsteen fan who is of Pakistani birth and was raised um, actually in the movie, they tell it a little bit differently and say that he was born and raised in the UK. Um, But in reality, he lived in Pakistan for a while while his father moved to the UK and then moved the rest of the family over. Um, But basically he found out about Springsteen's music in high school And it really identified with him a lot of what he was struggling with of just, do I follow the same path as my parents and, you know, become either a doctor or a lawyer or factory worker, you know, a practical job that they want for him? um, Or do I follow my dreams and become a writer? And then also just all of the regular struggles of being a high schooler with, you know, dating and friends and um, trying to feel worth And so it's really about, um, it's kind of more like a musical because there's a Springsteen song for every big moment in his life. Yeah. So I highly recommend seeing that and, uh, and reading more about the fan that it's based on. Yeah, no, I mean, I remember seeing that, uh, last, last year in the movie theater and really enjoyed it. Uh, in fact, I think I put that on my uh, recommendations uh, last year for like one of the best movies I saw last year. I really enjoyed that movie. I'm right there with you. I 100% agree with you. So uh, check it out. It's yeah. totally worth watching. And it's a it's it it's a feel good movie, you know. Um, and so mm-hmm. I think it's uh, I think it's the perfect choice right now as well. <laughs> yeah. So it's surprisingly delightful. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I am going to recommend uh, I have been reading through the Dune series and of course the trailer just dropped for what uh, is going to be coming out. Um, Hopefully it's still coming out this year, this year, but it could get pushed back. Who knows? Um, Mm -hmm. But the trailer looks phenomenal. And so I'm going to recommend if you've never read Dune um, to go read Dune. It's so worth it. Um, And and I've been reading through the entire series that Hebert himself uh, wrote. And so I'm really liking, um, I, I've, I'm on the uh, fourth book now and then there's a fifth that he has. And so, yeah, it's, it's, to me, it's really exciting. Uh, it's really fun. It's really interesting. And, uh, yeah, I hope that, uh, everybody will check out 
Dune. It, it's a series that's well worth reading. I, I would say um, it is the Lord of the Rings of sci-fi. It's very intricate, mm-hmm. very detailed. I've um, never read it. But it's also fantastic. Yeah, I've never actually read it. So um, I've heard about it for a long time. So thank you for the recommendation. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, well, uh, if anybody wants to catch up with you, Christy, uh, and see what else you've got going on, uh, where can they find you? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Bespin Bell. And I do a couple of other shows aside from 602 Club. I'm on a show called Sabres and Spells on the Skywalking Through Neverland Network Skynet with my good friend Teresa Delgado as we talk about tons of geeky stuff, whether it be Stranger Things, which season four is coming up soon. Um, or Harry Potter, anything other than sun. And then I do a show called Planet Leia on the Fanthatrax Network with five other women from around the world talking about Star Wars. Awesome. Uh, and uh, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, Vero under the name MattRushing02. Uh, I am here on the network doing a couple of shows. One is called The Orb with Chris Jones talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Doing literary treks as well with Chris as we uh, talk about the books and comics of Star Trek. And then on the Nerd Party Network, two shows. One is called Owlpost, doing that with Drea Kaufman as we talk about Harry Potter one chapter at a time. And we are in the final book of the Harry Potter series, so that's really fun. And then last but not least, doing Aggressive Negotiations. That's a Star Wars podcast with John Mills. And we just have a blast every week talking about something in Star Wars. Um, so... Thank you, though, so much for joining us. And y'all come back now, you hear?